I'm Cameron Silsby, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part five of the series, Practicing the Way, Community. Jesus' call to follow him in community is quite clear. The early chapters of Acts reveal a helpful narrative arc to shape our expectations of community. But what can that look like in practice? We'll ask some friends to share their experience of community over the last few years. My friends, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Tonight, we are wrapping up our series on the spiritual discipline of community. We've spent uh, the last few weeks covering not only uh, community, not only in a conceptual way, but also how it's done well, as in how to be emotionally healthy as you follow Jesus with a group of people who are all both wonderfully gifted and obviously flawed. So if you've missed any of the teachings, please go back and listen to them on the podcast. Super helpful. So uh, I once told my wife Hannah that if I was born in the Middle Ages, I I think I would have chosen to become a monk and taken the vow of celibacy. And for some reason, she seemed less thrilled about this than like this revelation than I was. I'm still not quite sure why. But I came to this conclusion because of what monasticism represented to me, a life devoted to studying the scriptures, to prayer, and the spiritual disciplines, and all in the context of a community of like-minded people. It sounded simple but focused, you know, serious about following Jesus and doing it in a counter-cultural way, together with people just as devoted as I imagined myself would be. But... Then I studied church history in seminary, uh, and I learned about the ebb and flow of monasticism, ranging from uh, beautiful and serious about following Jesus to outlandishly corrupt and little more than a money-making organization. And talking to a dude much wiser than myself about monasticism, he asked me how many books I had read from monks, and I could count them on one hand uh, and maybe one finger. Um, And he, being much more familiar with monasticism, remarked, oh, well, they have a really strong tradition of talking about how hard it is to live in community with other people. He then proceeded to pull a book off his bookshelf and read a quote from a monk that said, and I'm paraphrasing, what spending your life living in a monastery teaches you is that people suck and God uses them to teach you how to love others better. And it's like, you know what, on second thought, maybe being a peasant farmer in the Middle Ages doesn't sound that bad after all. Idealism, which is what I had towards monasticism, works against what God is up to in community. Tonight, we want to end the series by talking about uh, what we should expect out of community. What does this all look like in practice? And I want to answer that question two ways tonight. First, I want to look at the scriptures, and, I, and then I want to uh, bring a couple of friends up here to talk through their experience over the last few years in community. So before we bring them up, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the scriptures. You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Look down with me at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Acts 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, uh, and to fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a quite tantalizing picture of what the church started out as. So much so that people kind of often regard this as the best picture of what a healthy church looks like. So it's become a sort of like blueprint for what a church ought to be and to do. So if you're in really like churchy circles, like I often am in seminary, you might hear a church referred to as like an Acts 2 church or even more specifically like an Acts 242 church. And people have taken this section as a sort of checklist to see if church is doing all the things mentioned here. If they are, they're they're a healthy church and and a good one to attend. If they aren't checking those boxes, though, you better be careful. And taking this section as a sort of blueprint for what a thriving church looks like isn't bad per se. It's just not the whole picture. I've sat down and talked with people who, uh, disillusioned by their community, lament to me that their community doesn't look like the description of the church in Acts 2. It's messy, there's tension, some people aren't doing the practices and so on, you know, like real issues, real actual issues that need to be sorted out. And because of this, they feel compelled to leave their community in search of one that is actually doing this stuff in Acts 2. And so, you know, the assumption is something must be wrong with their community. And I think the warning I would give to anyone using Acts 2 as a blueprint for what a good or healthy community looks like is that it's not the only description of the church in the New Testament or even in the book of Acts. We've shown this chart of community rhythms before and bears showing again. So the first phase is the honeymoon phase, and you have apathy, frustration, and fear where you just decide, am I in or am I out? Should I just quit? If you decide to carry on with it, you come to terms with acceptance, re-engagement, and health. We'll work through the left side of that a little bit later. So the honeymoon phase, um, you know, you could take this as kind of a derogatory thing, but really this is a valuable time for a community to grow closer to one another and to build like a relational foundation and to set rhythms together as a community. It, It can be a really fun time together. You know, God seems to be moving in new and profound ways, and there's, you know, like an energy in the air. Certainly things aren't perfect, but, you know, there's a little awkwardness. It's a group of strangers. But overall, it's a really good season. And, you know, maybe not for every single person is it great, um, but at least there's some sort of newness to the experience. The downside to the honeymoon phase is that it often reinforces some sort of idealism about the people around us or the concept of community or the payoff of the spiritual disciplines. You know, uh, apathy often sets in uh, after a time. The newness of everything starts to wane, and then the quirks and the flaws of the people around us and our own quirks and flaws start to surface. Your community starts to seem a little less interesting. The practices can start to feel mundane, and it it begins to seem uh, more appealing to maybe just not show up this week. But apathy has a tendency to compound on itself. 
So frustrations start to surface or fears about people seeing you for who you are gnaw at you and draw you to just uh, to, to quit. It just becomes more and more alluring because really this isn't the way community is supposed to be, right? Look at the immaturity. Look at the sin in people's lives, how they fall short in ridiculous ways. Something is wrong here. So do you quit and look for a different community that's actually doing it well, like an Acts 2 community? Or do you stick with it? And for what reason? Well, as I alluded to earlier, Acts 2 isn't the only description of the church in the New Testament. In fact, there's this really interesting arc to the description of the church in the next four chapters of Acts. So turn over to Acts chapter 4 with me, two, two chapters later, so it's just a couple pages to the right, and look down with me at verse 32 of chapter 4, Acts 4, 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Okay, cool. So things are still great with the church. Now, read with me verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so uh, this couple sells some property and keeps a portion of the money for themselves, which isn't the issue here. The issue is that they lie about it to their community in order to make themselves appear more generous. Well, okay, every group has its bad apples, right? We all know the person in community who signs up to bring like tomatoes when you're doing uh, burritos and they come with one single tomato undiced and you're like, what is going on? Those people are just the exception to the rule though, right? I'm sure everyone else in the church is still doing the whole Acts 2 thing, right? Well, look one more chapter over to uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, a tiny bit of background here. The Hellenistic Jews were those who had lived outside of Palestine for a chunk of their lives and adopted some of the Greek culture and and then didn't speak Aramaic, the common language for Jews in Palestine. The Hebraic Jews were generally not friendly to Greek culture and looked down on the Hellenistic Jews for their compromises. So before they decided to follow Jesus, they would have gone to different synagogues. But now they follow Jesus and they're together in the same community. And there's tension. So much tension, in fact, that widows who were some of the most vulnerable people in society were not getting food Literally, this tension is causing widows to go hungry. Now, that's, that's kind of messed up, right? From Acts 2.42 to this in four chapters. This is the reality of community. At times, beautiful, inspiring, exciting, and at times, messy, broken, silly, petty, hurtful, you name it. Right here, though, is that moment. Right here is a question Is this community too broken? Should we just call it quits? 
And in the story, I mean, look down at verse 2. Is this the end of the church? Do they end up splitting up into competing communities to go their separate ways? Look down at verse 2 with me in chapter 6. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Instead of giving up and going their separate ways, they circle the wagons. They talk it through and realize at least part of the issue was the structure of their community. It seems the 12 are implicitly saying, yeah, you know what? We've got too much on our plates and dropped the ball on this one. We need help. So the community rallies around, uh, figures out how to move forward together, and the people come away feeling like the outcome was fair. Now look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Don't miss that first word there in verse 7, so. It's a word connecting what happened before with what then happened. You You could understand it as, because they did this, dot, dot, dot. Because they did this, there was growth. They stuck it out, and they were better for it. If you choose to press forward with your community, you come to the place of acceptance. Accepting others and their flaws, accepting yourself and your shortcomings, and you re-engage. You invest in these people's lives. Uh, You invest yourself even though they're flawed. You allow people to truly know who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And sometimes there's solutions that fix the tension, that you know, fixes the obvious, obvious problems in the community. And, and then sometimes the solution is to learn to accept the shortcomings of the group and to allow any idealism to fall away. And then comes health. And I would say implicit in that idea of health is growth. You take a step in learning to love others, not as you think they are, not as you expect them to be, but for who they truly are. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of this. Even when we aren't doing the practices, our community is the ongoing means by which Jesus is shaping us to be more like him, to grow our love for him and people in our community, flaws and all. The ups and downs of our group throughout different seasons is the means by which Jesus is shaping us. So we've been talking a lot about this over the last few weeks, and now I want to bring up my friends Dave and Kiana to talk through their experience and to give these ideas some flesh and blood. How about you give them a little clap and encourage them? So my friends Dave and Kiana have been around Van City in a community for over three years, and when Josh and I were starting to talk about uh, having somebody share their story about uh, and their experience about community, you two were 
the first ones that came to mind. And the reason for this is because I know the story of your experience in community. Uh, I'm the person that uh, oversees and has, has that responsibility to oversee, our oversee all of our communities and either had a front row to what you guys went through or I was involved as needed. Um, and you guys have seen, I would say, some of, some of the highest highs of community and, and definitely the lowest lows of a Van City community in our short time as a church. Um, and, and you're still here. You're, you've still stuck it through. I don't know why. They're here, though, and now I'm having them talk to you guys. So uh, let me ask you guys a question. Why did you guys join a Van City community? Yeah, that's great. Hey, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we absolutely needed it. Um, Kiana and I didn't grow up in this area. Um, my family's back in California. Hers is outside of Seattle. So there was definitely this need for us to be connected with people in the area that we can go through um, the highs of life with, the lows of life with, and really be able to engage in, in a local family. Yeah, that's cool. So you guys do that. You join one at the beginning of 2016, and things start out pretty good. You know, there's some rockiness because that's community, but in general, it seems like you guys really liked each other. I remember talking to your community leader at that time who was like, oh yeah, like our community likes each other so much. Like when we meet up, we, we go late into the night, sometimes early into the next morning. I'm just like, good grief, you guys really like each other. Uh, but then within a couple of months, your community went through the ringer. And again, as I said, like the worst stretch for a community to this date at Man City. And I seriously pray to God that we never come close to it again. I have about 15 gray hairs, and I think 10 of those gray hairs are from that summer. Yeah. So early in the summer, let's, let's run through this. <laughs> early in the summer, a dude in your community had a rock climbing accident, almost died, escaping with you know, only a broken neck and back and among other injuries. Um, and, and so, needless to say, he needed a lot of support. Uh, the leader of your community stepped down about that time, uh, and then a married couple started to have some serious marriage issues, kind of leading to a big moral failure. And, and so, by uh, the end of the summer, like, their marriage was really just barely hanging on. And then someone had told, like, a really hurtful lie in community, kind of taking advantage of, of your guys' vulnerability. And that lie, towards the end of summer, started to unravel itself. I think those are the big points, right? Yep. Yeah, not, not anything huge, you know? Mm -hmm. um, okay, and, and then it's, it's important for us to get here. Like, this isn't just happening around you guys. Like, it's not like you show up uh, during your community uh, meeting during the week and you hear about this stuff. Like, you guys are in it. You're, like, in the middle of it. Like, you're there supporting the dude who's almost just died but needs help, like, getting back on his feet. No pun intended. Um, you're there with, like, the, the married couple. Like, you're, you're the main support for them. And then, you know, the lie that, that, that took advantage of your vulnerability, that's what happened to you guys. And while all that was happening, you guys had your own, like, personal issues apart from community, right? Like, what was going on with you guys at that time? Yeah, so the beginning of that year, I, um, right when pretty much five or six weeks into our community, I was having my second miscarriage which was the second one in eight months, to then the day before Mother's Day, salt to the wound, I was told I had a, it's a uterine arteriovenous malformation. Basically, it's a nest of active and flowing blood vessels in my uterus that um, could hemorrhage at any point. It was life-threatening. I could bleed out and die pretty much at any moment. And 
on top of that, it's a, um, I am one of less than 100 women in medical literature to be diagnosed with a UAVM. So I was also given a team of about five doctors to which explained, they said to me, we don't really know what we're doing. So there's a team of us and we're gonna just, you know, do our best. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, so then a little bit later, they I was 26 at the time, they asked me if um, they could do a hysterectomy and remove my uterus, and I was like, well, let's check out some other options. <laughs> and so uh, July 21st, I had an angiogram, excuse me, and uh, they took a scan of my, my uterus, and the plan was, if it's small enough, they were going to cauterize the arteries, feeding the blood vessels, and hopefully that will kill it. They hopefully was the keyword. Uh, if there were too many to handle, they would send the scans to what they said a doctor across the country and probably put me on a plane to someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> it, was, it was really reassuring. <laughs> so uh, I remember waking up after the procedure and I'm still very heavily medicated. And the doctor says, okay, we're finished. Everything looks great. And I'm like, okay, good. And he goes, yeah, it's gone. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, my, cause I remember like my wheels turning and trying to think really hard and be like, wait, it was there. And they were like, yeah, it was there. And I said, but now it's not. And they said, there's no sign. And I said, well, well it was really big. Like, kind of like, did you miss it? And they're like, no, no, it's, it's completely gone. You look like a 26-year-old. And I was like, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that he healed my body. And I have so many people praying for me. And the doctor leaned in and said, I've been praying for you too. And the Lord miraculously healed my body. I have an MRI scan that shows the crazy nest and an angiogram that shows that it doesn't exist. So Jesus, that was amazing. And yeah, amen. That was awesome. So our community, you know, the text messages came flooding in. We're excited. Awesome. Um, and we missed that next week due to recovery, but then pretty quickly after our leader stepped down and kind of the chaos started, and it just kind of got swallowed up, um, to use a phrase Kim used, in the chaos, and we really never honestly celebrated with our community, and that was really hard for us to just be like, whoa, this incredible thing just happened. The Lord touched my body and I'm healed. And then to be like, oh, okay, survival mode, crisis mode, almost, almost immediately. Yeah, so you guys went from like lows to highs, and then the very people that you want to be celebrating with, this chaos like really kind of snuffed out the celebration there. That's yeah. hard. But what did you guys see Jesus doing through all of this, like in you, you guys specifically and then in your community? Like how were you faithful to him? How was he faithful to you through all of this? Yeah, I mean, through all that craziness of just like, oh, my wife can bleed out and die at any moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a, a natural dependency, I think, that comes with Jesus, and obviously that extended through into the community, and for, for me and for us, that really just looked like taking on uh, these spiritual disciplines in a really real and tangible way, um, practicing fasting and prayer and silence and solitude, just these um, necessities of uh, you know, our heart and our spirit, being able to connect with God, because honestly, it was out of our control. Yeah. It was just so much bigger than than what we could um, personally handle. So it just, you know, up that, I guess, spiritual game of just like, oh, we need to be equipped and have the tools to be able to combat this on a spiritual level, not just a mental or physical level even. Mm. Yeah, and for me, a um, little bit about me, I'm a two on the Enneagram, so I really love to help. Um, 
but I've learned really fast that when I'm helping out of my own knowledge and my own strength, I get hurt really easily. I um, take, <laughs> it gets messy. It's, it just gets messy because I feel like, oh, they're not listening and paying attention to me. And I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be helping. But I found out really quick that when I pause and I get refreshed from the spirit and then give out of an overflow of him, that is when the Lord moved. That's when I was receiving visions and words of encouragement, like insight to situations that I could not have known on my own 100% and speak so much life into someone that was hurting so bad. Um, and, you know, I, I was really, that was a season where I really, really learned how to, how to determine what was the Lord speaking and sensing, like my, what was the spirit doing versus like what my own thoughts were. And um, yeah, that was really instrumental for me and just my spiritual growth and being able to determine what is which. Yeah, it kind of sounds like your experience was essentially like you were faced with the abyss of like hurt and pain and chaos and community like provided with you guys the ability to be like, oh, we're not enough. But then like through like drawing close to Jesus, he was actually able to meet that stuff and use you guys in profound ways. Hard, obviously, it wasn't yeah. like it was a cakewalk, really hard, but like get to use you guys in like fresh ways. That's really cool. So Jesus was working with you guys and, and in and through you guys and in your community. And then by the end of 2016, because of various reasons, like marriage was contagious in your community, like a bunch of people got married and uh, your community dwindled to four people. And you guys had been in survival mode for like the past six months, uh, you know, exhausted from it. But then like you get five or six new people beginning of 2017. What was it like to go from like survival mode to getting new people? And were you guys thinking just like, oh my gosh, more people means more problems? Because if you were, nobody could blame you because of that. Like, Yeah, yeah I mean, to be totally frank and honest, we... I'm pretty sure we had the conversation that was like, it cannot be harder than what we just experienced. It can't be any worse than like, this. Like, it cannot nice, be worse nice, than yeah. that. So, and so far, you're right. So yeah. far, it's great. It's two and a half yeah. years in, we're doing great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like, we can only go up from here. Um, but we also knew that um, vulnerability is the key to connection, and we happened to be pregnant again for the third time. Um, we had just found out that week, and it was really terrifying for us, our third pregnancy. Um, and so they came around us and prayed with us and held that kind of tension with us. Our first practice as a community was uh, you're working through your past. So we got to know each other really well, really quickly. Um, and as we were preparing for this last week, Cam mentioned, like, oh, like, I explained what the first few weeks like, and he goes, oh, kind of like Psalm 23. And I was like, oh, yes, like the Lord led us to those green pastures and the peaceful waters. And it was kind of like we could almost breathe. And it was like we didn't cringe thinking about going to community every week. It was like there was so much hope and excitement yeah. um, that we had. Yeah, I was just ready for a transition. I was ready for, you know, to be around new people, hopefully, you know, just start, start fresh, start new. Um, and I know for me and Kiana and then the other two people that were part of that original group, we just decided like, hey, we're, we're just putting this old community to rest. Yeah. This isn't like a, we're bringing in new people into a messy <laughs> community. It's like, no, we're just going to start fresh. We're going to start new. Um, you know, it's always hard to join a community in general, especially if you're, you know, joining some people that you know have been in a community already. 
uh, you know, it's just, it would be really difficult to step out of your comfort zone into that. So we just decided, hey, let's do the similar type thing and, uh, you know, step out of our comfort zone. Like, yeah, we've been around these two other people for a while now, but let's make sure that we're actually not just sticking in our own little clique. Let's make sure that we're, you know, really reaching out and getting to know, you know, everybody who's in our group as a collective new. Yeah, you guys like allowed it to be like a fresh start instead of like carrying it forward. I just wonder like from like 2016 to 2017, like why didn't you guys quit? I mean, can I ask that as a yeah. dude that is over to like, mean, why didn't you just quit? <laughs> I don't think we've ever, I don't think we ever were like, oh, we're quitting. I think we struggled <laughs> with honestly uh, idealism. We struggled with being like, oh, look at that group. That group seems so nice. Hey, can we be in your group? And like, would constantly struggle with, oh, this is our group. Like, in the sense of like, it just was so heavy. It was so much that um, we just felt, we felt like we were kind of carrying it all. And so, um, with the, one of the reasons why we didn't quit is, is because we had so much support from you and Josh and Patrick and the wives were such a support for me as well. And really encouraged us with a practically what to do and be like it'll change like it can't like it can't be like this forever and yeah. you guys stood with us and kind of walked us through that yeah yeah I mean I I never really thought about quitting I mean just because of you know other people's emotional dependency was was a part of it you know and it's like man this is our opportunity to try to be like Jesus when it's hard not just when it's easy not just when it's comfortable because honestly that's you know doesn't really put you to the test as much. I think when you're trying to go through the go through the ringer with other people, it allows you know Jesus to help shape you as much as be there for them to help you know walk through their spiritual maturity and you know dealing with sin and dealing with difficult times as well. So you know Jesus didn't walk out on us when yeah. we were going through hard times. So how how would we be to just walk out on other people when they're going through hard times? That's cool, and you guys were faithful, you saw it through, you get to enter into, like, this fresh season with, like, a group that has, like, this renewed, like, vitality and, like, non-crisis, like, there's peacefulness in the group, and, and so you guys do the mundane thing where you just meet up and you eat together and you do the practices and you, like, get to get into, like, a good rhythm and, like... Then towards like the end of 2017, right, you have your son, Jet, mm -hmm. like all of this happening in like a whole year of just like uh, almost quite a stark difference from 2016. So what would you guys say Jesus was doing like in the calm season? Like what, what was happening for you guys and your community at this time? Yeah, I just felt like it was a good time to, for us to just to jump into a weekly routine. Um, we weren't necessarily focused super heavily on just trying to get through the grind. We were able to really, you know, prepare for what the practices were, what we were going to be going through, um, being able to engage with our community and, and what they were going through just on kind of a week-to-week -week basis. You know, the prayer requests were pretty standard prayer requests, <laughs> whereas before they were always a little, a little heavy. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, oh, okay, we can... Yeah. You know, it was a whole lot easier just to, to check up with each other, you know, be a part of our group messaging thing just to, you know, hey, here's how we can, you know, support each other throughout the week and, and have it really be something where we get to, you know, practice the spiritual disciplines not in such an intense situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think um, our first community, like you mentioned, we all clicked pretty quick. Um, and uh, our newer community was kind of a random group of people, but they're some of my closest friends and dearest friends now. And I think because of the work we poured into showing up and working on like having fun as well as going deep and developing those relationships as friends, um, it's some of the most beautiful and beneficial work that I've ever poured into to create like these real solid friendships, which in a minute you'll hear was really vital for us in the next yeah. year. Yeah, that's cool. And like, so the next year is, um, well, towards the end of the year, again, you have, you have your son, Jet, which is, he's like a gift. Like, he is yeah. from <laughs> Jesus healing you miraculously. But there's, like, struggles leading into 2018. What was going on leading into that year for you yeah. guys? Yeah, so that spring of 2017, Dave was laid off at his job. I worked until 38 weeks pregnant. Four days later, had a baby. And then we went into the new year, a new mom, deep in the throes of postpartum depression, an undiagnosed postpartum depression, um, until I'd say January, February was when it was diagnosed and therapy started. Um, and then no job, new motherhood is <laughs> exhausting and tiring anyways. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and then in July of 2018, as some of you may have already known this, my mom was actually on the brink of death um, what started as just a basic kidney stone turned into septic shock for her. Um, you know, within days, she was uh, completely like on life support, on every medication for blood pressure that you can be on. Um, you know, the, the doctors had told us like, hey, we've already done everything we can do. She's, you know, nobody's ever made it back from, from being this far gone into septic shock. It's probably a good time for you guys to say your goodbyes because we don't know how long her heart's going to hang in there. And it was tough, and we, you know, never stopped believing that Jesus couldn't do a miracle up until the very last minute. But, you know, we were just like, okay, let's kind of just take this time to, to say our goodbyes and see, you know, see what the Lord's going to do and, you know, try to leave, you know, leave my mom, uh, you know, with her doing her thing, and hopefully it works out. And then, you know, miraculously, her, her heart turned around and started pumping harder. She was yeah, completely, you know, like as far as restored for, for her heart and her vitals, um, doctors didn't have a clue what caused it. <laughs> There's like, well, there's no medical explanation for this. So we're just like, well, this is a miracle. Our second one, right? Second huge miracle. Um, but just because of, you know, how much blood pressure meds she was on, she, you know, the, the process for recovery was hard. She ended up not getting blood to her limbs for way too long, which led to her needing to have a quadruple amputation. Her arms from her elbows down needed to be amputated and both of her legs from uh, her like shins down. So it was just a hard, a hard season of going through just this really, really low to miraculous healing to still just this ongoing grind for her to try to get her life back to even somewhat normal. Yeah, and it's hard not, it's not exactly the same, but it's hard not to like make this sort of connection where it's like 2016 was other people's chaos and like all of that you guys were responding to and now it's almost like it's your turn. Like you're going through this, the chaos of life, the brokenness of the world. And, and where was your community in this? What, like what was Jesus doing like in them and through them like in this time? Yeah. Um... So a lot of people hear our story and think that 2016 
versus 2018. 2018 would probably be a more painful and hurtful year for us. Difficult. Yeah. yeah, but in reality, 2016 was significantly harder for us as a family because I think what we went through was very saturated. It kind of felt like we were carrying a lot of things on our own, but because we came to our community with vulnerability, with courage, we kept them in the know of every little detail. They prayed with us, they sat with us, they carried all of that with us, the depression, the joblessness, Dave's mom, mm -hmm. and it was diluted. It was almost like we were all carrying the load and they sat with us, they wept with us, they processed with us. They reminded us of the truth that you know, we were struggling to remember. Mm -hmm. And tangibly, they showed up with meals, literal, <laughs> like one said, not a bomb. And it was like left on my doorstep. <laughs> and it was hilarious. Or like, we, yeah, we'd come home from community with like freezer bags or freezer meals, like ready to cook that for throughout the week. And, you know, none of them have kids, but they all showed up to my one-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> and, you know, I honestly believe that they loved us the way that Jesus would love his friends. They showed up for us. They cared for us. They sat with us. And I mean, being a young family in a community is hard work. All of you young moms, like <laughs> we are just in the throes of our regular day, but to get out of the house with food to like someone else's place and space is complicated and hard, but everybody showed up. And when you put in the work, we have failed a lot, but we apologize, we come with humility. And I think that it's been so, so beautiful and beneficial to have a space where we can grow and we can create and encourage each other to be more like Jesus and do the things that Jesus does. And to us, there is not a single thing that could be any more valuable to do with our Tuesday evenings than to yep. be with our community that's our family. Yeah, yep. yeah good investment. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I think there's just like one last question that I wanna like, Pose to you guys, and it's in that like space of what what was Jesus like teaching you guys uh, in the difference between being the ones that were there supporting other people as a part of your community, kind of being in the thick of it, and then on the flip side, actually having to be on like the receiving end of it. What what was that difference like, and what was Jesus like teaching you guys through that? Yeah, so I have a really hard time asking for things, and uh, we had to work through a few times where. I had these expectations and they weren't met, but then we would share it. We would say, hey, this is what I thought would happen, but it didn't, like what, how can we move forward? How can we prevent this in the future? And we would have a conversation and try and figure out how to work. And um, honestly, it comes from a place of courage. You have, to sh you have to talk. You have to share with where you're at and be real because if you don't and you have all these expectations of how things should be or how whatever, like, it's not gonna happen. People can't read your mind. And so I learned a lot that um, I needed to voice what I needed um, and or like let it go and find the courage and bravery to share hard stuff because I truly think that one of the tools the enemy uses is isolation and to kind of make you feel stuck. But that the point of community is to get out of that and kind of have other people help draw you out. And if you don't know what you need, say, I don't know what I need, but I need something. Can you guys help me? And I think even that in and of itself is a really beautiful place to start. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, as a Enneagram 9, I just want to fix everything and have everything just be very orderly. Um, and that year of just 2018 was not personally. Um, so I feel like for me, it was actually learning a lot of the, um, like the art of suffering and lament. Mm -hmm. Like that it, it actually is something that you need to learn how to deal with, learn how to handle grief, learn how to handle 
you know, really, really difficult situations that, that are almost bigger than you that require you just to be able to lament. Um, and I hadn't really experienced that before in life. I mean, we had at times, but this felt like just a whole new level. And for me to have a community and have guys and, and these awesome ladies to be able to like nights where it's like we just sit and just lament. Like we don't go through the practice. We don't do, uh, you know, what we had on the agenda. And everybody having this recognition of sometimes as a community, we need to put what we thought was going to be on that night's agenda aside and deal with, oh, this is real. This is happening in this person right now. And yeah, I don't, I don't think I could have done that without the community. Like, I, I would have been lost. Wow. That's, dude, that's beautiful. Guys, thank you so much for sharing. Like, <laughs> clap, please, now. Yeah, that's a good, good time to start Thanks. clapping for them. Thank you. Hey, and if you guys, if, if any of you were, like, listening to that and something, like, resonated with you, like, oh, like, that experience, that, that I'm, that's familiar to me. Like, I know Dave and Kiana would love to talk to you uh, uh, about it, so go ahead and pull them aside at some point down the road and, like, and, and talk to them. Share, like, hey, that, that really meant a lot. I want to talk to you more about that. So, uh, you know, to, to wrap up tonight, the three of us uh, were talking this week, just like working through all of this. It was, a, it was a really long and fun conversation, just like reminiscing and kind of like shaking our heads in disbelief at their experience in community. But something really struck me in that, uh, in that moment as we were doing that. And, and I said something to them along the lines of, because you guys stuck this out, Jesus has shaped you into different people than you would have been if you would have just quit. I think that's a profound encouragement and warning to all of us, sticking with it, working through the hard stuff with, with help from God's spirit allows, us, uh, uh, allows God to shape us in very specific ways. Quitting in the face of hardship means you may miss out on that. And I think the best understanding of Acts 2 is to see it as a good and exciting season of the early church. It's encouraging and beautiful, and God works through it. And inevitably, when that season comes to an end, and it will, there will be hardship and difficulty and apathy and sin. Because Jesus, but Jesus is still faithful to work in it and to work in you. It takes work on our part, it takes intentionality, it takes emotional health, which is why we're going through these practices. But at the end of the day, it takes sticking with it. Thanks for listening to Van City Church. You can connect with us, find more teachings and resources from Van City at vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church give.